0: Welcome to Health and Living with me T. Shaoik. Now childhood is of course a time of fun and play but this can be disrupted if a child is born with a faulty valve in the heart. Now one such condition that could lead to this is called aortic stenosis and when a baby is born with it, meaning it is a congenital condition, um, that means the baby has an aortic valve that is either too narrow or blocked. That's the simple explanation and and in terms of treating it, there are surgical treatments available to manage this condition, but some of the procedures do have their limitations. So we are looking at something today um, called the Ozaki procedure and uh, how this can offer hope for young children that are born with aortic stenosis. And joining me via Zoom to tell us more about this is Dr. Sivakuma Sivalingam, consultant, paediatric surgeon from Institute Jantung Negara. Thank you so much for joining me on the show, Dr. Siva. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on board.
0: Absolutely. And perhaps we could help our listeners understand what is the condition that we are, you know, sort of going to be zooming in on today uh, in the sense of understanding how it affects children who are born with it. What is aortic stenosis in children?
1: thank you and i think uh, you know you gave an excellent introduction to the disease and the surgical procedure that's called the uh, ozaki operation but let me just uh, rephrase that uh, it's called the ozaki operation as it has been uh, you know it was first described by the surgeon professor ozaki but uh, the uh, technical on technical terminologies it is described as the aortic valve neocuspidization procedure, since it's a pretty lengthy name on the the technical aspect, so we just call it the Ozaki operation. Now, as children, uh, you know, are born with various kinds of congenital heart diseases or malformations, if you look at the diseases that have been described, we have over 150 variations of You know, congenital heart malformations. And uh, one of the serious malformations that can happen uh, in a baby is uh, when the aortic valves, uh, which are a very uh, important uh, valve, because this is a a valve that is present in the great artery, that is the aorta, which kind of uh, protects the blood flow uh, or controls if you like, the blood flow from the heart to the rest of the body. So at any time there is some kind of a defect in that valve, it could either be that the valve is stenosed, or that means it is narrowed. In that case, the heart is going to pump very hard in order to get the blood out, or the valve might be leaking, in which case the blood that goes out of the heart is going to come back to the heart and going to distend the heart. This can affect children at birth as an isolated disease, or it could be in association with other congenital malformations, which can indirectly affect the aortic valve. It can also occur in children due to some infection that can occur on the aortic valve. So these are the conditions where uh, you know the valves get affected, and most of the time, if it is just a mild, uh, you know, kind of a disease, we can probably treat it with medications because we don't want to go and perform a major surgery on a uh, on a child or, or an infant or a neonate. But unless the surgery really becomes necessary, only then we will perform the surgery.
0: Is it terribly common among children in Malaysia?
1: Well, I think um, if you look at the aortic valve disease is on the left side heart. That means if you look at the heart is divided into two compartments in the sense one is the right-sided heart, which gets the blood pumped into the lungs and the left-sided heart that pumps the blood to the rest of the body. In, In the Asian population, the disease is mainly on the right side that is the blood getting pumped to the lungs. The left-sided diseases are more common in the uh, Caucasian population. But nevertheless, uh, as we are the primary referral center for dealing with children with congenital heart diseases, we get a fair share of patients on whom we need to deal with this particular lesion.
0: I can imagine um, it must be very uh, significant when uh, in a child's body, either the heart has to pump extra hard in order just to get the blood to the rest of the body or even if the blood's flowing back, right? So in terms of a child's actual functions and abilities to do normal things, how does having a condition like this affect them?
1: I think this uh, is very important point because it takes a lot of uh, work and effort from the parent or the caregiver who's managing the child, because uh, the presentation will depend on the severity of the lesion. If it is just a kind of a mild disease, then probably the child will have very mild symptoms in the sense might have some difficulty in breathing or the feeding may be a bit affected. And uh, these kind of uh, uh, problems can be dealt with with some kind of a medical treatment and supportive care. And we can probably wait for the child to grow. But the instances where the disease or the lesion is very severe, in that case, what happens is the child is going to have major symptoms like uh, he will have the heart going into failure. Or the child has to go on the ventilator to be, uh, you know, because can't breathe well. So when it comes to these kind of uh, circumstances, then it becomes very tough for the, uh, you know, the caregiver or the parents to manage. And in that instance, the child needs to be uh, under, uh, uh, you know, a more intensive care. And that means we need to do some kind of an intervention as early as possible uh, to get the child better. <laughs>
0: And without the intervention in those severe cases, could the child die?
1: Yes, Uh, it, it, it can happen, especially if the disease is severe. And if you don't take treatment at the appropriate time, what happens is the heart ultimately fails. And once the heart fails in these babies, it's very difficult for them to get back to normal even if you have offered any kind of treatment. So that's the reason we don't want to wait for the child to go to that kind of a stage.
0: Yeah. Mm. Just very briefly, when it comes to the mild disease, what can medications do? How, how would it help?
1: Right. So what happens is when you have some kind of an obstruction or a leaking valve, definitely the heart is going to be uh, having some kind of a labored uh, uh, effort to get the uh, blood to pump out. And this kind of has a lot of effect on the lungs too, because as you know, the heart and the lungs are connected with their function. If the heart fails, automatically the lungs tend to fail. So what the medications can do is, the medications can kind of reduce the effort of the heart pumping the blood out, of, out to the valves in the sense it can kind of reduce the load in such a way that the heart kind of uh, is a bit more relaxed to pump the blood out. Number two, the lungs get into heart failure or the lungs get into failure because of overload of the fluid because of uh, the heart has failed. In this instance, we can give some medications such as diuretics that can uh, you know effectively get the fluid out of the lungs. And, uh, uh, you know, give more uh, symptomatic relief for the babies.
0: And so with those situations where you can help the child with those medications, can they go on to have a pretty normal childhood?
1: Yes, they can. But they need to go on regular follow-up and they need to take the medications uh, regularly. And uh, the idea is not to intervene until they have grown to a you know, pro- hopefully at least beyond infancy, so that if anything needs to be done, it's a lot easier to uh, treat rather than doing any kind of surgical intervention when they are small babies. Yeah. We, we try we try not to intervene. That's the reason why we give this medication medical therapy. If in the instance, medication therapy fails, we could do some uh, minimally invasive procedure, that is the cardiologist can put in a balloon and kind of open up the valve to give a temporary relief. And that that has worked in many of the uh, uh, babies and that's what we do in our center. Uh, And there are very rare instances if that fails, then we have to do some kind of a surgical intervention to open up the valves. Yeah.
0: And presumably that's your role and that's where you as the paediatric surgeon comes in and we will continue to look at the surgical interventions. What are the options? And of course, go on to um, focus on the aortic um, neo-caspidization it's a long term uh, you got it right
1: <laughs> well done I
0: practiced <laughs> uh, but also known as um, the Ozaki technique which uh, of course named after the uh, Japanese professor who, um, who sort of developed that technique so we'll go for a quick break and then we'll come back and discuss all this with Dr Siva Kumar, Sivalingam Consultant Pediatric Surgeon from Institute Jantung Negara. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me T Shao Ik. joining me on the show today via Zoom Dr Siva Kumar Sivalingam consultant pediatric surgeon from Institute Jantung Negara which is a center that um, you know deals with a lot of the more complicated um, heart heart Uh, diseases and uh, including among children as Dr Siva is a pediatric surgeon after all and we've been discussing this condition known as aortic stenosis. Um, Some children can be born with a condition where the valve um, in their aorta is either narrowed or it may be leaky. Either way, it presents difficulties to children in terms of the function of their heart uh, to pump blood efficiently to the rest of the body. And uh, depending on the severity of the disease, where it sits on the spectrum, um, children could be managed with medications. And and the way you've described it, Doctor Siva, I like it because there's a sort of step up, um, you know, approach to it. You 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 want to not have to intervene with anything invasive when the children are babies. So you try medications first, and then if not, there's the stent with the balloon to open up the valve. And uh, now I think we come to sort of where you would um, play a role <clears throat> if surgery is needed. So um, how how would you sort of um, come to that decision in terms of which patient would eventually need surgical intervention and what, are the different types of surgeries that that children can undergo for this?
1: I think, as I mentioned earlier, we will wait for the child to have, uh, you know, exhausted all the medical therapy and any kind of uh, catheter-based therapy. So there will come a point when the valve will progressively get narrowed and the heart is going to show a kind of strain to cope with that pumping against that narrow valve or to deal with a leaky valve. So when this happens, then we will need to go in for a surgical uh, consideration. So the surgery, you kind of need to plan what exactly is the kind of lesion that you're dealing with, okay? So now, if you look at the aortic valve, which gets stenosed, uh, a normal aortic valve has kind has three cusps or kind of three doors which open and close, you know, uh, for every heartbeat. So uh, these valves sometimes can be abnormal in the sense, instead of three doors, they can they may have two doors, or sometimes they may just have one door. So we need to first identify what kind of a lesion are we dealing with. So in that instance, if it is a really narrowed valve, what we can do, a simple surgical, not not simple in the sense, uh, technically uh, uh, a milder kind of operative approach will be just to relieve that obstruction by just opening up that narrowed valve. But there comes a problem when there is, the so-called single kind of a valve. We call it the unicuspid valve. And that is a very difficult lesion to deal with. If that is if that is the instance, then we might have to reconstruct that valve to make it into a two-leaflet valve.
0: So like that's building right. another door, that's so right. to speak.
1: That's right. Exactly. Right. We build another door to make it bicuspid. Well, that's not the real physiological or the anatomical uh, natural anatomical uh, orientation of the uh, valve but that is still better than having a narrowed one one door uh, or a one cusp uh, so it's better to make it into two and then let the child grow and we continue the follow up yeah. so if this particular condition uh, uh, fails the next will be to do some kind of uh, reconstruction on the valve itself that means the existing valve that is there in the child we try to make it better by doing some kind of reconstruction on that diseased valve so this we call it as aortic valve repair okay so this is the second option and of course it's not in all instances that you will be able to do this Uh, So you will have to choose and identify which are the patients that you can perform this procedure. So if this fails, the next step will be a valve replacement procedure. Because you can't salvage the valve, so you have to replace it. And how do you replace them? Number one, you could either use a prosthetic valve, which you can't in a child because you don't have small prosthetic valves to be implanted in a child. So we have to think about using some kind of a biological or natural product. So what we do in this instance, we will remove the pulmonary valve. That is, as I mentioned to you, we have two great arteries coming out of the heart. One that pumps the blood into the lungs, that is the pulmonary artery. The other one is the iota that pumps the blood out to the rest of the body. So the pulmonary valve is also having the same uh, anatomy or uh, is similar to that of the aortic valve. So we'll take the patient's pulmonary valve and implant it onto the aortic valve. So we call this the uh, pulmonary autograft replacement, or the Ross operation. So this operation is nothing new. It was uh, described by the surgeon way back in 1969. So it's been uh, tested for more than 50 years. And uh, the results have been pretty good with the Ross operation. But the only problem with this Ross operation would be, as we take the pulmonary valve and put it onto the aortic position, we need to put another kind of graft to connect the blood from the uh, heart to the lungs. So we put another conduit there. So the problem is we effectively are are treating one heart condition, but we are also creating another heart problem.
0: That's right.
1: So that is the reason why uh, many of us are moving away from that particular procedure. But to be be honest, it is still the gold standard. It has stood the test of time and we still perform the procedure. So the last option that we have now is the aortic valve reconstruction. Using the patient's own material outside the heart. As you all know that the heart is covered by a protective membrane, if you like. This is called the pericardium. So this has the same kind of thickness and consistency of a natural valve. So what we do is we take the patient's own pericardium and we reconstruct three new leaflets on the aortic valve. And that is what we call the aortic valve neocuspidization procedure or the Wazaki operation. The benefit of this is You can reconstruct the valve for any kind of age group. It can be a big child or even a small child because you can measure according to the patient's size of the aortic valve, and you can reconstruct the three leaflets and get the almost natural looking valve. Though the material is not that of a natural aortic valve, but the outcome looks almost similar to a naturally uh, created three leaflets of the aortic valve, and uh, this has shown encouraging results in the short term, but this is not as old as the Ross operation. So we have to see how this outcome you know how the outcome of this procedure is going to be in the long term.
0: But I, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was developed in 2007. Is that right? <laughs>
1: That's right. In 2007, it was described in the earlier days, mainly for adult patients, like uh, patients beyond the age of 70 years. You know, we don't want to put any kind of valve because it's difficult to manage older patients with blood thinning medications. So this operation was a favorable surgery in them because you can avoid blood thinning medications by doing this particular procedure. And the results that we have so far are the results in the adult patients. And it has been excellent. But for the pediatric patients, this procedure was only introduced from, I would say in the last six or seven years. And I would say IGN is one of the centers that picked on this procedure very early. And I think the center that has got the largest series and results are the Boston Children's. And they started the procedure in 2015 and IJN started it in 2016.
0: And how many patients has IJN done this on?
1: We have done over 80 patients so far. Wow. And we have accumulated a significant uh, experience in this particular procedure.
0: Indeed, 80 is a significant number. Before we get to, I guess, you know, in terms of looking at how those children are doing, I just want to come back to the actual procedure itself. Does that mean that it's actually sort of in a few parts where you would actually take the tissue out of the pericardium first um, and sort of build the leaflets um, outside um, of the child's body and then um, come back into grafted?
1: Uh, Well, uh, not exactly. What we would do is we will, uh, you know, harvest the tissue or the pericardium and then we need to kind of, uh, you know, the pericardium is a very flimsy material to handle. We need to kind of fix it so that it has some kind of uh, uh, texture that we can handle. So what we do is we soak it in a solution called the glutaraldehyde. So what this glutaraldehyde does is it kind of denatures the uh, protein uh, on the uh, pericardium and makes it a bit stiff for us to, for so it's easier for us to handle the tissue. So the reconstruction is done in the iota. That means we'll have to connect the heart and the lung to a cardiopulmonary bypass machine, which will which does the job of the heart and the lung. And then we will stop the heart for a period of time. And then we'll open the iota at the base of which the aortic valve is seated. So we will remove the diseased cusps. And when you remove the diseased cusp, you will have a picture of a cylinder inside. So what we will do is in that cylinder, we will make the measurements how to reconstruct three leaflets. And this particular procedure is performed by creating the cusps, by measuring the cusp size using some sizes. So based on that sizer, we have the template that are available on which we place those template size on the pericardium and we'll cut the appropriate size cusp on the pericardium. So once you have done that, the next procedure will be to suture that cusp onto the aortic onto the aortic uh, base of the aorta where the valves are normally sitting. And once you have done that, you will have created three normal-looking cusps. And then, of course, you close up and then you let the heart beat back by itself.
0: Mm. Well, you, you're making it sound very simple, but it must be so delicate and so... It, it must be such a complex procedure.
1: Yes, um, it is... Uh, it is delicate especially if you if you are performing it on smaller children because the tissues uh, you know need to, you need to hand, handle the tissues uh gently okay and uh, so it, it it is a bit of a challenge but of course as any other you know anything else in life you, the the you know that you need to train to do it and the more you do you get better at it and uh and that's how you accumulate your experience to make yourself better. Yeah.
0: Mm, and to now do more than, uh, than 80 patients in IGN, yeah. how long does the surgery take from start to end?
1: Roughly about uh, four hours. It takes about four hours. Uh, and the actual procedure where we will need to stop the heart because the reconstruction takes a bit of time. So the reconstruction of the valve can take about two hours. So the heart needs to be stopped for at least two hours. Mm
0: -hmm. At what age would children be considered, you know, suitable to undergo this? And are there any patients you would deem actually not suitable for it?
1: If it's a newborn or any child, uh, you know, the younger age group, say the youngest I have done is uh, four years old. It all I me- as I mentioned earlier, these valves you need to construct on any kind of cylindrical structure. You can reconstruct the valves. If the cylinder is too small, then it's difficult for you to reconstruct. So that means in smaller babies and uh, you know infants, it's it's challenging. So we don't do this procedure in them. In older patients, like say if the patient is four years and above, you can, you can perform this procedure. <laughs> Sometimes in the older patients too, the iota may be small, but it's not a problem. We can make the iota bigger by widening it, and then we can perform the procedure. That means we call it aortic root enlargement, and then we can reconstruct the leaflets.
0: Mm. Now, this is major surgery, so I'm sure there are risks that um, the parents and family members need to be aware of. What would some of them be?
1: Right. So now, if you look at um, the congenital heart surgical procedures, you know, there are uh, you know, numerous uh, procedures that are available. And uh, these procedures are kind of uh, classified according to the risk. So we place them into, say, from level one to a level six uh, risk for these surgical procedures. A level one risk procedure is a relatively simple procedure where the risk can be very small. And a level six is a very, very high risk procedure. This particular procedure will come under a level three. The, that means it's kind of an intermediate risk procedure. The risk of this operation is about uh, three to 5%. So 95% will be success. But of course, you can have complications. Especially complications can be related to you know, complications of the cardiopulmonary bypass machine. You can have complications such as bleeding and sometimes uh, you can you know have complications such as heart failure or low cardiac output if the heart doesn't beat back you know for any obvious reason such as if there is a you know uh, you know some kind of a problem with the blood flow to the heart or you know if the patient's heart had previously suffered from heart failure they can have problems after the surgery for a, for a short period of time and there is also a small risk of getting some neurological problems. Uh, but these are all very minor risks and it doesn't happen. But of course, we, we, we have to reiterate to the families so that uh, the, the parents are aware of what are the likely problems that can happen. Another major issue that we always dread about is infection. Uh, though the surgery is a clean operation, there is always a risk of getting infection. That's why we treat them with very strong antibiotics in the perioperative period so that they don't end up with any kind of infection. Because once these repaired valves get infected, then we're going to have a lot of problems uh, to deal with that later.
0: All of this, understandably, um, parents must be made aware but it must still be a difficult decision for them to make. Um, how how has your experience been talking to them, offering this option to them?
1: Right. Well, uh, when I counsel the, the, you know, the the parents, I make sure to tell them that this is not the only treatment option that we have. Okay. The the thing is, we are only doing this because we have exhausted all the more conservative treatment options. So the parents need to understand why their child has come to me to undergo such a major surgical procedure. And I reiterate to them is that if it can be avoided, we want to avoid it. But... If it can't be avoided, we need to do it in order to make the child better. And also at the same time, to prevent the child from deteriorating. And I don't give them this only operation as the choice, but I give them the options of what are the other surgical procedures that are available in the armamentarium. Give them the risk and benefit of all the procedures. And let the families make the final decision. But before they make the final decision, I would give them what is my recommendation. And if they are, you know, if they are if my recommendation and is the same as what they would want the child to have, then it's not a problem. But if it is not exactly the recommendation that I'm making, and it's a preference that what they want to do, then I will still respect that and go according to the wishes of the parents, yeah. Mm.
0: And how are your patients doing now? Presumably you've been involved in the over 80 <laughs> patients that IGN has done.
1: You know, I will be, uh, you know, I'm very happy because uh, the results have been very encouraging. The immediate post-operative period, I never had to take a child back to do any kind of uh, reoperation but unfortunately i had about uh, four of the children on whom we operated on had infection and once you have an infection then we have to reoperate and that becomes a huge challenge but the only apart from that there have been another three patients who had a successful repair and they went back and then within a couple of years they came back with the valves become thickened and dysfunctional and that can happen and in those patients i had to go back and uh, remove and and put a, a you know a prosthetic valve because i've already done this procedure i, I can't go and do the procedure again we can do it but uh, the it is always best to do this procedure with the natural material that is the pericardium if you can't use the patient's own pericardium then probably the outcomes may not be very good you can use substitute material like using the uh, bovine pericardium that means it's the you know the pericardium of the cow we can use that but uh, that may not be the best option for the patient
0: so I guess, you know, um, not everything is rosy immediately after the procedure. Um, there are issues that can arise, and you and your team are, you know, you, you will work to manage it. So, I, I guess from that, then, what has your team learned from the complications, right, so that you can continue to improve on this?
1: I think uh, any kind of, uh, you know, so, uh, congenital heart procedure is a, is not an individualistic treatment uh, like many other uh, surgeries that we do, where it's hugely led by the surgeon performing the procedure. Uh, but uh, in congenital heart surgery, it's the entire team that, that is involved. And each one of them uh, play an equal role uh, to make the child get better. So of course, my role is from the Technical aspect of performing the surgery, but we have the doctors who will accurately make the diagnosis and let us know what exactly is it that we might have to do. Then, of course, we have the anesthetist who will, you know, manage the child during the surgery, and then we have the intensivists who manage the child after the surgery and the cardiologists who are going to follow up the child for life. So all of them have to play an equal role. And one of the things that we realized in these patients is that the concern about infection of the valve. And that is something that we are very, very uh, careful. And uh, we make sure that you know the patients take the so-called endocarditis prophylaxis and take the antibiotic treatment for any infection, and we make sure all that is done in a proper manner. But despite all that, you can have problems. But what we cannot solve all the problems, but we can do our best to prevent them.
0: Yeah. Long term outlook, Doctor Siva. Um, what kind of life would children who have undergone this, um, you know, what kind of life can they go on to have?
1: The good thing about this particular procedure is that you don't have to put the child on any blood thinning medications. The problem with blood thinning medications is the activity of the children become restricted. In the sense they cannot play contact sports. They cannot do active very aggressive kind of uh, activities where there is a where there's a possibility that they can have a fall. And when they have fall, they can bleed. But in the Ozaki operation, patients don't have to take any long-term blood thinning medications. They will just take blood thinning medications for about six months and after that they will stop. So which means they will be free from any medications in the long run. So this basically will allow them to have a normal life. They can play any kind of sports, they can get involved in any activities and they can lead a normal life like any other child without, uh, you know, a heart disease.
0: Extremely, extremely hopeful. Um, And again, I guess I come back to the point you made earlier about how, you know, there are With advancements, there are so many different options and you can go step by step and really try and tailor it to um, the child who needs uh, most appropriately to each individual child. Any final message, Dr Siva?
1: Well, uh, what I would like to uh, say is, uh, you know, it is very difficult for the parents, uh, you know, when they know that the child has got a congenital heart disease, and especially in this context, a disease of the aortic valve. But what is very encouraging is that the disease even can be identified early in life. And depending on the presentation, we can initiate any kind of treatment right from the beginning. And we can have continuous surveillance. And It is always reassuring to tell the family that it is not the surgery that we are going to do immediately to solve the problem. But there are a lot of other minimally invasive or non-invasive procedures that we can do to support the child until she grows to a bigger, you know, to a point where we really need to perform some kind of intervention. And even if there arises a need for intervention, it's very, you know, we have a lot of options that are available and we can give the right uh, treatment uh, tailored according to the, uh, you know, according to the problem that the child has, you know, has caught. So I think it's, it, you know, the, the the future looks very good and I think we are we are certainly moving the right direction. And in fact, IJN is the leader in this and uh, we have, just to make a sh- short note, tell you that uh, in fact uh, uh, we are actually a training center for this procedure for not only in Malaysia we are trained many centers in Malaysia to to perform this procedure and I personally mentored you know uh, surgeons around the region in Southeast Asia and in uh, many countries in Asia too so so it's not only that the treatment is being done here but we are Uh, training many centres around the region hopefully they can perform the same procedure and save children in the future
0: Absolutely On that note thank you so much Dr Siva I've been speaking to Dr Siva Kumar Siva Lingam Consultant Pediatric Surgeon at Institute Jantung Negara This has been Health and Living on BFM 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station
1: For more stories of the same kind